0: she comes up and uh, say hi to someone you haven't seen yet this morning
1: okay hello good morning nice to see you all Hello, lovely to see you all. My name is Sarah. If I haven't met you, hello, lovely to meet you. And um, as Nick said, we are in the book of John and we are in chapter two. And hasn't it been fun so far in the book of John? Pretty good, eh? Amazing few weeks. So this must be about week four, uh, week five, actually. So last week in chapter two, Simon stood up here and he talked about this amazing moment when Jesus did his first miracle and he, he took water and he turned it into wine. And as Simon made a point, he, he said, isn't that the kind of miracle that we want in our lives? You know, isn't that the kind of the kind of Jesus that we want, right? Miracle of water to wine, come to my house, Jesus, right? Down, okay? Okay, I get Jesus and the whip today, okay? So we've moved on in the chapter, and um, and I want you to read with me, support me as we get into this next piece, because it's a whole lot different from last week, and raises a few questions. So let's turn to John chapter 2, and we're going to read verses three, uh, 13 through 17, and if you've got a Bible follow along, otherwise have a listen to my dulcet tones as I read. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, and by the way, if you want to know about what the Passover means, then have a look in Exodus chapter 12, and you can have a bit of a study, um, read the whole of Exodus to really get the idea, and work out what Passover is all about. So when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now just pause there for a wee second. It's kind of interesting when you look at um, the, the Jewish culture. Whenever the Jews talked about going to Jerusalem, they always said up. So it didn't matter whether they were coming down, literally, you know, from north to south to Jerusalem. It didn't matter if they were literally going um, west, east, east, west, whatever. It didn't matter. They always said if they were going to Jerusalem, we're going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the summit. Jerusalem was the peak. The temple was there. It was exciting. It was wonderful. It was like, woohoo, it's Jerusalem. It's kind of like Christmas, right? Right? (laughs) So they went up. So right here in the account, when it says up, that's why it says up. If you look at the geography and you go, that's not up. That's why it says up. Okay, you with me? All right, so they went up to Jerusalem. And then Jesus must have gone to the temple because it says, In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Now, these are not things you might expect to see in the temple. So, what's his reaction? What's his response? He made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So, Jesus and his disciples they head to Jerusalem it's Passover just just coming into Passover and they go to the temple and this is very early on in the ministry of Jesus as you know you know we're only very early on in the book of John here and and you know there's another time when Jesus does this actually but that's at the end of his ministry and Matthew and Mark and Luke they talk about that story at the end of his ministry before the cross when he goes back into the temple and does this again but this story that John tells is right at the beginning okay and so he comes in and he goes to the the temple and what he finds there, we read that. And if you've read it before, you're like, Yeah, blah 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 blah. But if, if you haven't and you're expecting to see temple scenes, this is not one, this is not what you would expect. And yet, it was, it had become normal in the temple it was nothing new actually in that moment and 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 this wasn't new to jesus he'd been going to the temple regularly since he was born he'd been he'd often been there he'd often seen it but in this moment jesus responds and he responds physically and he responds dramatically and he responds publicly and the reason is this in this moment Jesus has come to the temple and he has come at just the right time and he has come with a very clear purpose. He has come to publicly reveal himself as the Messiah. He has come to purposely fulfill scripture. In other words, prophecy that had been written, that we have in our Old Testament here, that the Jews had. Jesus had come to fulfill that. It had promised that the one, the chosen one of God, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, would come and do this kind of stuff. So Jesus came to show himself as that guy. And, and some of the prophecies were, uh, for example, Malachi chapter 3, which is the last book of the Old Testament as we have it here. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, it says this. This is one of these prophecies. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty boy, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites, which is the priests of the temple, right? Serving there in the temple. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver, and Jesus comes into the temple to do just this, to proclaim and to present himself as the one who is fulfilling this messianic prophecy that the Jews knew. So understand when you read this little section here, this little story that might seem like, goodness me, what's going on? That's what's going on. Do you get it? So this is Jesus saying to Israel and particularly to the to the Jewish leaders, I am Messiah. And this is my father's house, right? Amazing moment in the ministry life of Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, is that the temple is in a shocking state. It is re- it's really gone to wreck and ruin. And what would happen the day before Passover, what would happen in Jewish families was this. Every Jewish family, the day before Passover, they would go through, they'd open their cupboards up and they'd go through all their cupboards. They'd open up their drawers and they'd tip them out and they'd go through all their drawers and they'd go into the corners of their houses and even into their pockets and they would hunt out and get rid of any little hint of yeast or anything else that ferments, actually, but yeast. Now, why would they do that, you might think? Well, the thing was, with the Jews, yeast was a metaphor. It was a picture of sin. And you know how with yeast, you know, you get a little jar of yeast and, and you don't, it doesn't take much, those little wheat granules, it doesn't take much to put in, but, but a little bit of yeast goes right through the whole dough and, and takes over the dough and makes it rise, right? Okay. Now, in the same way, sin, just a little bit of sin, a little bit of sin in our lives can just kind of like spread through our whole self and it can spread. Through a marriage, and it can spread through a family, and affect a whole family, and and a whole business, and a whole community, and a whole church, and a whole world, can't it? And for the Jews, yeast was a metaphor of sin. So as they cleaned out their homes, as they as they cleaned out their homes, it's like they were saying to God, "As we clean out our homes, we clean out our lives. We want to clean out our lives of sin." And, and we want to be ready to receive the sacrifice of the Passover lamb on our behalf, God. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? So this was going on in all these homes, all these homes, all these lives. We're doing this, cleaning up, getting ready for Passover, a bit like a spring clean. But here in the temple, in what was considered the house of God, the ones responsible, the Levites, the priests, weren't cleaning up. They let it all just fall to pieces, and it was an absolute shambles, and instead of being this lovely place of, of prayer and of worship and of meeting with God, instead of that, instead of being that, that the temple's meant to be, that's what a temple is, instead of that, Jesus says, you've made it a market, and that literally means an emporium, a place where people are just interested with making a fast buck. This was become, it shouldn't be like this, this is a temple, how come it's a market? And the ones responsible for, for cleaning and taking care and, and, and concern for the holiness of the temple, they had failed in their responsibility. And do you ever look at the floor of your car and think, how did it get like this? And do you, oh, maybe it's your desk, and you look at your desk and you go, oh my goodness, where do I even start? Maybe it's your bedroom. Maybe your bedroom floor is unrecognisable as a bedroom floor now. And you think, where did this begin? Well, the temple was in an absolute mess. How on earth did it get that way? Because it wasn't always like that. When it was first made, it was beautiful. And now it was a stinking mess filled with animals, and animals weren't wearing nappies. Well, I'll just leave that to your imagination. But there was, was a bad smell in the place. So how did it get like that? Well, every year... Every Jewish male had to come to the temple in Jerusalem and pay a particular tax. It's called the temple tax. And, and they would come and they had to pay the temple tax in temple money, temple currency, temple coin. And you couldn't use temple coin elsewhere, so they were living in a, in, un, under Roman coin. So they were using Roman coin day by day, but when they came to pay their tax, it had to be changed into temple coin. And so you know, it made sense that the priests said, well, here, here we go, here we'll, here's what we'll do. We'll set up tables in the temple, and that's where you can exchange your money. So it's your money-changing tables. And that's all very well and, and fine, and, and it's a useful service. But what, what happened was the priests thought to themselves, we could make a killing on this. And they employed money changers, and these money changers, they charged crazy, exorbitant prices to exchange the money from Roman to temple money. And so sometimes the people who were coming, they were paying up to um, half the amount again just in, in the rate to change it. So, And there was no concern for the fact that many of these people had no money. They they were poor as it was, and they were being you know ripped off in the temple. Some of them were living below the poverty line, and it was not okay. And yet the priests seemed fine with it. So that's one of the things that was going on in the temple, and that's why there were tables in the temple that Jesus then upturned, and why money's talked about. Okay. Another thing that was that was going on, another one of the evils in the temple was around the animals and the birds that were used for offerings. So. People used to have to bring animals or birds to offer and sacrifice. Now, some of these people, they were traveling a long, long way. And, and it was it, was a, big, it was a big bit hard, really, to bring a sheep all that way, or a cow or something, or a dove. And so, so a lot of people couldn't bring an animal so far. So, so the, the priests, again, they come up with, a, with an idea, and, and they said, well, we'll have our own herds um, of animals, and you can come, you can buy one from us, which sounds like a really good idea, except that the priests were materialistic. They were money-hungry, and they didn't care about the people and and the fact that they were poor. And so, again, they charged stupid amounts for these animals. And and because they had to use animals, they had to pay those prices. Other people did bring their own animals, and they managed to bring their own animals. Maybe they didn't live so far away. And they would bring their animals, but the animals for sacrifice had to be perfect. They had to be the best. They had to be spotless, without blemish. And so they would bring their animals, and, and they would have to be inspected by the priests, so the priests would, in- would inspect the animals, and surprise, surprise, they'd find something wrong with the animals. And so they'd say, oh, look, dreadfully sorry. Why am I speaking English? I don't know. But dreadfully sorry, but your animal is, has got a blemish, and we really can't have that one. So you'll have to buy one of ours. Now, it's a little bit like, you know, when you go to a hotel, and um, you've traveled all night or something, and you haven't got a car, you're really tired. You get there, you're hungry, and it's nighttime, and you've got nowhere to go, and you can't get anywhere anyway, and so you look at the minibar, and you go, oh, good, a Kit Kat." Nine dollars? No, are you kidding? Nine dollars for a Kit Kat? You've got to be joking! So you look at the at the at the menu for room service. Thirty dollars for a cheeseburger. What? But you're between a rock and a hard place, aren't you? Because there's nothing else you can do about it. And that's how it was. That's how it was for these people. They had to do this, and they were being charged crazy amounts. And the priests just didn't care. And it passed over time. There were as many as two million people coming. To the temple, so you know, there was a big scam. The 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 priests were making a killing on this. They were fleecing the flock, and the temple was supposed to be a place of prayer and worship, but it had become a market. And the priests, who were supposed to be caring for people, had become materialistic, and there was no concern anymore for the poor. But also, not only that—that would be bad enough, wouldn't it? But not only that, there was another thing that was going on, which was just unacceptable. And it was this. The temple had lost its outreach. The temple had totally lost its reach out, right? And you know, the temple itself is an amazing place. I've got a picture here. And the temple itself was designed by God. It wasn't a design that people came up with. It was a design that God came up with. And he told Moses about it. And he told David about it. And David told Solomon about it. And Solomon spent seven years building it. Well, his slaves and stuff did. (laughs) And so this is a design that God has, has made. And so God gave this. He was the architect. He was the designer. And the materials used and the measurements and the shapes and the positioning of rooms Even the tools that were used, even the decorations, even the furnishings, everything came from the mind and the heart of God. He made those decisions, and the details were absolutely incredible and minute. Now, if you look at that picture, what you'll find is that those rather blank areas on either end of the temple and then connected down the sides, those big areas are courtyards or courts, and they're called the courts of the Gentiles. And part of the design of the temple, because of course the temple was for the Jews to come and worship, and part of the design from the heart and mind of God was that there would be this massive open areas called the courts of the Gentiles. So for people who were not Jews, people who were non-Jews, in other words, Gentiles, they could only come into those areas. And it's like God is saying, you know what, I want there to be a massive welcome mat out at the temple. I want there to be, I'm going to roll out the big, big welcome mat. I'm going to fling open the doors as wide as I can make them because my heart is that every single person have access to me. Isn't that cool? And they're huge spaces, aren't they? And I love that they're not hidden away around the corner. It's not like, oh, where's the court of the Gentiles? Oh, I have to find it, you know, go through a maze or something. No, it's right there, and it's massive, and there's loads and loads of space. And that's how God wants it. And Jesus had the same heart when he said this. He said, I have sheep that are not of this pen, in other words, Gentiles, and I must bring them also. That was his heart. Come, come in. Do you know what else I love? I love that if you were a Jew in the time and and you went to the temple to worship, in order to get in to worship, you had to go through the court of the Gentiles. You had to actually take your feet and walk them on the welcome mat of God that God had spread out for more people to come in. And so every time you came to worship, you would walk through the big welcome mat of God, and it's, it's like it's a reminder to say, you know what, you also were once far from me. Once upon a time, you didn't have a relationship with me, and now you do, and I don't want you to forget I never want you to forget. So you've got to walk through it. And it's also like God is saying, also, I want you to have my heart. So you've got to walk through my heart in order to worship me. Isn't that beautiful? I love that about the temple. And do you know what? They filled up those spaces. They'd filled them up with materialism, they'd filled them up with self advancement, they'd filled them up with the busyness of business. And Jesus was mad. Jesus was mad. Did anybody ever get taught that little song or that little poem, Gentle Jesus, meek and mild? look upon a little child? You know we've got gentle we've got Jesus Jesus party, Jesus turning water into wine and then we've got Jesus mad. Is this the Jekyll and Hyde? Of Jesus. How do these things fit together? How do we feel about having a piece of the Bible that talks about Jesus angry? Is angry, angry okay? Was is Jesus an angry man? If you know another angry man, maybe you don't want to know if is Jesus an angry man, maybe you don't even want an answer to that. You know what? When we study the Bible and we look at the person and the character of Jesus, and if we, we look at how he interacted with people right through his life. What we discover is that he was not an angry man. What we discover is that he was a good man. You know, there's a verse in James, a couple of verses, James 1, verses 19 to 20, describe what an angry person is. It says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Jesus' anger right here in the temple, it was great. And it was of such a specific kind that it is called zeal. And and what zeal is all about? What it involves is a really a strong reaction of the thinking of the mind and a strong fervor or passion of the spirit. And these two things come together in indignation and the defense of what is right. Okay. Jesus was passionate right here about his father's house. We might call this, some people might call this righteous anger. Have you heard that phrase before that term? Righteous anger. Very, very different from the kind of anger that James 1, 19 to 20 speaks of, which is human anger. Righteous anger is the kind of anger that God is happy with. Let's have a look at it. I wonder what kind of anger we would be characterized by. So righteous anger, first of all, is controlled, targeted, and precise. When you read how Jesus approached this, Jesus, yes, he had a whip, but he wasn't just sort of whipping around at everything. Jesus took and Jesus made a whip. Standing right there, he made a whip. And it was the kind of whip that, that farmers used to move their animals. And that's exactly what he did. He moved the animals out. This was not the place for them. He moved them out. They were used to this. This is how it was done. He didn't use the whip on the birds. Did you notice how beautiful that is to notice that? He didn't use the whip on the birds. Instead, he said to those who had the birds in cages, take them out. Because if he'd used the whip on the birds, it would have hurt the birds. Whips aren't made for birds, right? He was careful with it. So the anger of God, the anger of Jesus, righteous anger is controlled, targeted, and precise. Righteous anger is also timely. It's at just the right time, and it's for the right length of time. Jesus didn't stay angry righteous anger has a righteous result. It leads to sin being corrected. It leads to cleansing. It leads to better things. Isn't that different from that human anger that we read about earlier? You know, a brain surgeon, when he takes a knife, the knife is safe in his hands right? A knife in itself could be an unsafe weapon, but, but given to a brain surgeon at the right time who's removing a, a tumor from a brain, that is a good thing. And that surgeon, he is precise with the knife and he only takes the time needed. And he doesn't go cutting around at other parts. Oh, here's a bowel. Let's see what we can do with that. He doesn't do that. He just sticks to what what needs to be removed and he removes that. And it's the same sort of picture here. There's such precision and care as Jesus does what he does the temple. So let's read on and see what the reaction is to what Jesus does. Can you imagine? Okay, so verse 18 says this, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. That's actually a, a reconstruction, a refurbishment, 46 years. And you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus himself was the temple of God. The building was a beautiful building, which was God's temple, but it was always a picture of the one who was coming, who would in whom would dwell the fullness of the Godhead. Jesus, God, come in the flesh, and he was the temple. And when Jesus himself died and rose again and then ascended up into heaven, when he sent his Holy Spirit, those who are followers of Jesus became, become temples. So each one of us, if we have received Jesus Christ as our Savior, we now are temples of God. There's some verses here that you can read to tell you about this. start in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and together you are that temple. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Individually, we are temples, but also as a whole. The whole church of God throughout time is considered God's temple, the place that God dwells. Move on to the next slide, and you'll see verses about that. In him, Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What does it mean, what does it mean for the Messiah to turn up in the temple today? When the Messiah turned up in the temple there in the story, it meant a cleansing. It meant overturning of some things, getting rid of other things. It meant change, didn't it? When Jesus comes as Messiah, he comes both as Savior and as Lord. And as Savior, what Jesus does is he restores my relationship with God. He pays for my sin. When I say to him, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I want to be born again. I want to be saved. I want you to take my sin away. When I say that, Jesus responds to my faith, and he takes my sin away. My sin has gotten the way of my relationship with God, and he takes that away so that I can be in an eternal, forever relationship with God. And at that moment, his spirit comes and lives inside of me, and I become a temple. Amazing. So that's the first part of what it means for them to be Messiah. The second part is that he is Lord. And so as Lord, what he does is he restores my life. He puts things in order again in this temple. And that's ongoing, isn't it? That's a work that Jesus has been up to in my life for a very long time. It's an ongoing work of the Messiah in our lives. And as Jesus comes to, figuratively speaking, comes to us today, comes to us as his temple and as his temples, I wonder what he would want to overturn in my life. And I wonder what he would want to drive out of your life. And I wonder what he would want to set right in our lives as he is Messiah. You know, I am so glad that Jesus didn't just be my Savior, but that he is also my Lord. I am so glad that he didn't just take away my sin and then leave me to it. I am so glad that he shows up in my life as Messiah ongoing and that he has what it takes to turn things around in my life. Because I think that if he left me to my own devices, I would be saying, actually, this table over here, that's fine that's just fine. And and these animals over here, no, we're good with those. We're good with those. I'm sure I can put nappies on them. I can fix it. I can do something. See, but when Jesus comes in, he says, no, that's got to go. And sometimes that's hard, but it's so much better, isn't it? It's so much better. And I wonder what he wants to do right now in your life. I wonder what needs to change. I believe that he would want to overturn anything in you that would have you be a market rather than a temple. And you know what? We live in a society where busy is a big word, isn't it? And, and I, I think that for, for some of us, maybe the table that needs to be overturned is the table that says, you know what, I am too busy to put aside a day a week to Sabbath. Sabbath. I'm too busy to put a day a week aside to, to come and, and worship and pray and learn from the Bible and fellowship with other believers. You don't understand how busy I am. My life's different from everybody else's who makes this a priority. But really, that's just saying I don't trust God with the, with the rhythm that he has given us to live by. Or maybe it's I'm just too busy. I'm too busy to spend time in prayer and, and reading the Bible and fellowshipping with God every day. I'm, you just don't understand my life. And that's because you've made it into a market, not a temple. You're busy, 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 business, business, business. Push, push, push. And I believe that Jesus would want to turn those tables in our lives and say, actually, you are a temple. Have you forgotten that you are a temple? And I believe that at times we can get so caught up with what we're doing and, and all we're achieving and more and more and next and next and the next pair of shoes and the next car and the next phone and the next experience and, and more. And, and, and as we do that, what happens is we, we actually, by default, lose our love for the poor, don't we? Because there's, well, there's kind of nothing left now. I've used it all. So I really don't have anything when someone's in need to respond with. But also my heart is just so caught up with money. And Jesus said, you can't love God and money. And so I believe that Jesus would want to change that in us. I believe that Jesus would want to drive that out and tip things over again and say, you know what, I want you to love the poor. And I want you to love the people who haven't got. And I want you to be ready to give. And I want you to always be arranging your finances so that you have got um, margin. So that you're you're directing your money to, to people who really, really need it. And you've got margin to give the extra. And you've got to come back and you've got to reassess that constantly because you'll drift from that. Because that's the way of the human heart. And you know what? What about? What about? Like it's really easy when someone comes and stands here on stage from Destiny Rescue and they show their video and they tell their story and, and we're heartbroken and we want to help. And right there, we'll do anything, we'll go anywhere. But the following week, has anything changed? And so we need to rearrange the tables, don't we? And we need to actually prioritize. And we need to make change. And and sometimes I don't know about you, but you know sometimes when when I'm walking down the street, and um, and I see somebody who who really is down on their luck. You know, they, someone who is sitting on cardboard and maybe you're here and that's you. And I'm glad you're here. And, and maybe that, you know, you see somebody who, who they don't have a home and, and they don't have any food. And, you know, and society would say to us, well, what did they do to get in that situation? You know, it's not your problem. It's their fault. And, and anyway, we, you can't do anything really to change the situation. You're only one person. And it's so complicated, isn't it? The whole homeless thing and all that. It's just so complicated. Don't get involved. Well, you know what? I got an idea from someone once, and this is something I've been doing, just to have one of, a little pack in my handbag um, and a stash in the car so that I'm ready to respond. Because do you know what? I know I can't solve the whole problem. I know that. I know it's just a drop in the bucket. But I want the heart of God. And I know that God loves that person that's sitting there on cardboard and that my feet are walking past, that God loves that person. And so what I've got in here is just really simple. There's a little gospel. um, This one's the gospel of Luke. Sometimes it's the gospel of John, just the ones I can get my hands on. There's an invite to church and a free coffee. And there's a little juice box or a muesli bar or both. And it's just a way of me connecting with someone and, and doing something, you know. But we've got to be prepared, don't you? You've got to be ready to respond. And I believe that God would want to do that in us. And I believe, too, that God would want to get rid of anything that would take the place of the welcome mat of God. As a temple, just like the picture of the temple, you also have a design. And part of your design straight from heaven is a welcome mat. Your life has a massive welcome mat. Have you filled it with other things? Have you filled it with self? Have you filled it with busy? Have you filled it with don't care? Have you filled, I don't know. What have I filled it with? I want my welcome mat to be be right out there. I want to be ready to have those conversations where people can meet Jesus. And so again, to be ready, how prayed up am I when I go to meet a friend? How prayed up am I? How How much have I prayed for that person to have their heart softened to Jesus? Am I ready with a couple of questions that might be helpful? One question I really appreciate using is just, and it just helps me to understand someone a little bit better, understand where they're coming from, is um, what what spiritual beliefs do you have? And just to have that conversation, it opens up doors. It's amazing. And if somebody says none, well, then you end up often having a conversation about that, which is really interesting. How ready are we with that welcome mat? How prepared are we? How committed are we? to be that welcome mat of God. You know, right now here in in church, as we call it, you know, here as we meet together, what we love to do Sunday by Sunday by Sunday is roll out the welcome mat and welcome anybody in. And you might be sitting here today and you might have never for yourself, you might have never actually said to God, God, I'm a sinner, I get that. I need my sin removed by Jesus. Would you please do that for me? I give you my life, I want to be a temple, I want you to live in me. If you've never done that before, then right now I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray that prayer where you give your life to Jesus. Now, an interesting thing happens right here is that quite often, as that offer is given, the people who've already received Jesus kind of tune out. And, and what you've done in that moment, if you tune out in that moment, is you've rolled back the, the welcome mat. But right now, for you to have that welcome mat out, what you want to do as a follower of Jesus is begin to pray. Because we know that someone can only receive Jesus if the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to them. So if you're a follower of Jesus right now, I want you to pray for those who are sitting in here right now who've never given their life to Jesus and pray that they would meet him right now. So let's all close our eyes together. And if you're thinking, you know what, I may not have all my questions answered, but right now, yeah, I want to give my life to Jesus. This is my day. Then would you just put your hand up, and no one else is going to see you except me, but just pop your hand up, and I'll pray for you, and you can pray along with me. If that's you today, I'm going to pray, and you follow this prayer in your own heart. God, right now, I, I understand that I have sin in my life and I need Jesus to take it away. And I ask you, please take that sin away from me. Please clean me. Please forgive me and make me pure and make me new. Please put me back into relationship with God. And right now, I hand over my life to you. I want you to be the leader, the Lord of my life. I ask that your spirit would come and live in me, that I would be a temple of God. I pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. If you prayed that this morning, we would love to chat with you at the end of the service. And to give you a little gift pack, it's an I Said Yes pack, which has a Bible in it, has some follow-up material, and uh, enables us to serve you better by helping you grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. Right now, before we we close, and Josh is going to lead us in one final song, can you do something for me? Can you take out whatever system it is that you use to make notes Maybe it's a piece of paper, maybe it's your phone, maybe whatever kind of app you use. Can you take a couple of minutes and just jot down what's been the one or two actions out of the message that Sarah's given? Maybe as you've been sitting here there's been a a table, figuratively speaking, that you've sensed the Lord say, you know, I, I want to tip that one upside down. Maybe there's a sense of busyness. Maybe you like the animals. Whatever it's been, take a moment and do that. And and some of you are looking at me like, uh, you haven't convinced me yet, you haven't pulled anything out yet. This is the moment, technology and church, awesome. But here's the reason why you do it. If you're like me, uh, there are two things that can happen. One is you'll say, God, I've been challenged. And by the time you hit the car and the second set of traffic lights and you've re-engaged for the rest of life, it's disappeared into some great idea that gets relegated to history. And I find with monotonous regularity that happens in my life. So by writing it down you you have a better chance of reminding yourself because God wants to work in our lives to transform us. The other thing about writing it down is this. I find... well, I use, I use notes on my phone, and, and I'll do that, and then I'll be at some point, a week or two later, in some random place and a bit bored and waiting for a, waiting for a meeting or a conversation or a flight or whatever it is, and you, you get on your phone, you look, oh, what was the last note I made? And you look at it again, oh, that's right, That it reminds me. And it's a great reminder, a great prompt to re-engage again with what God's doing. Why am I saying that? Because every one of us, myself, Sarah included, The Lord Jesus Christ needs to have free access into our lives. And when he prompts us to do things, he's not simply saying that's a nice idea, hang it on the wall somewhere and occasionally refer to it. He wants to transform us to become like Jesus. So take a moment, jot it down, whatever it might be, surrender it to the Lord, pray about it, and then as Josh begins to lead us in a couple of moments' time, would you stand with him and let's worship Jesus together? But right now, take some time, you and the Lord. Have a think and pray about what you've just heard.